morning. Good morning indeed. I'm Michael Talercio. I'm the pastoral intern of Forest Hill Presbyterian Church, and you're joining us for day 371 of our daily walk through the Word with Jesus, one chapter per day. And I'm glad that you're with us this morning, in particular because we're looking at a chapter that I have found so helpful on so many levels. Mark chapter 2. We began our look at Mark's gospel just a couple of days ago, and we're continuing. But we're still going to need the Lord's help, as we do always. So why don't we go to him now and ask for his help in prayer. Please join me. Father, we do need your help. You make it clear for us, in fact, in this morning's passage, how specifically we need your help. How clearly we need your help. How completely we need your help. And so, Lord, as we look at your Son, who speaks to us in this word today, we pray that you would help us to see what he has to say to us and what he has come to do for us, which we need so clearly, so fully, so very much. And we pray that he would get the praise and the honor as our hearts would be full of gratitude for what he's done, what he has brought, what he is bringing now, what he'll ensure comes to full fruition in his timing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 2 for us this morning. Let's begin in verse 1. And when he, that is Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the Pharisees of the, and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even of the Sabbath. Well, anybody who knows anything about fixing problems knows that you have to fix the problem at its source. It's not enough to simply put a band-aid on a gaping wound. You gotta heal the insides. You gotta sew the skin back together. You gotta do more than just put a band-aid on it. And as the great physician, Jesus knows this. And that's what we see in today's passage. We see the Son of God, the King, who we began reading about in chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus the Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, bringing his gospel immediately onto the scene. And we noted that that meant that he's coming with power and authority as God's chosen king in the line of Isaiah's prophecy and all of the prophets and all of the Old Testament. Jesus has come to be the king and to bring God's kingdom on earth to God's people. And this king has authority over every sphere of life. We began seeing that in chapter 1, and in this morning's text, we see it on full display. In fact, we see that what Jesus' authority is being used for in today's passage is something much more significant than what he was using his authority for in the previous chapter. If Jesus only used his power as king to address the matters that he addressed in chapter 1, like demons and people in the synagogue or the sickness of Peter's mother-in-law or the, the man with leprosy, if that was all he ever used his authority for, then he would just be putting a band-aid on the real problem that he came to address. As the great physician, Jesus has been able to diagnose what man's greatest need is. And so he reveals that to us in today's chapter. Verse 1, we know that Jesus is at home. Now this may mean his hometown or it may mean his actual residence. And if it's the latter, then that just gives us an even greater picture of Jesus' 
love for people. Because four men come carrying their friend, a paralyzed man, on a mat, on a bed, and they can't get into the house, and so they break through the roof. So whoever does reside in this house normally would be pretty furious. If it's, if it's Jesus' home, he's so clearly a gracious host to allow these men to come into his house in such a way and say what he says in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus gets right to the nub of it. He knows that the problem that mankind has is not simply the results of the root cause, but the root cause of those problems itself. It's sin. And Jesus addresses it head on in today's passage. So what that means for us, before we go any further, is that poverty, sickness, the world's expectations for how we can get better and improve ourselves, education, whatever, whatever the means that we might try to come up with to improve our lot as human beings in this world. Better, better plumbing or, or addressing food shortages or clean water or better politicians or better leaders or rulers. None of those things are going to address what we need most. And Jesus knows that, so he gets right to the heart of the matter in chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel account. So Mark has shown us Jesus' authority over a variety of spheres of life, and now Jesus, he shows us Jesus getting right to the heart of it. And this is where we're going to start to see pushback. This is where we're going to start to see, as we do in verse 6, those sitting by Jesus, hearing what he's saying, and questioning in their hearts. Verse 6, now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Isn't it so like the world to be fine with Christians doing acts of service, being kind, welcoming in orphans and uh, serving refugees, all, all things that we want to do and ought to continue doing. But the world welcomes Christians in as much as they do that, but don't say anything else. Don't you dare mention sin. The moment you mention sin to the world, they act like these scribes do. You can see it sometimes on people's faces. Everything's well and good until you mention sin and their need to be forgiven by God. And so Jesus, at the beginning here of, of Mark's gospel still, is already getting right down to it. And he takes the flack. But in fact, he takes it in such an amazing way because he uses this moment as a teaching opportunity. He poses a question here, verse 9. Which is easier, he says in response to these scribes, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. You see, on one hand, it is easier to simply say with your mouth, your sins are forgiven, because then you don't really have to demonstrate that in any real way. But Jesus wants to make it clear that he is able to forgive sins, and so he does something that would never have been expected. He heals this man of his paralysis. Verse 10. 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This is why he's going to heal this man, so that all may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that's exactly what this paralyzed man does in becoming no longer paralyzed. Jesus heals him miraculously, but for the purpose of demonstrating to the people that he has authority to forgive sins. Brothers and sisters, the simple takeaway of this section of text this morning is this. What we need most is forgiveness of sin. And Jesus alone has authority to provide it. It's that basic. And yet it's that important. We don't need anything as much as we need to be forgiven by God for our sins. That is at the heart of why Jesus has come. That's at the heart of the message that he has come to preach. Back in chapter 1, verse 38, he said that he has come to preach. That's why he is teaching them at the beginning of this passage. We didn't mention this, but what is he doing at home with the people coming to his home? He is preaching to them. The end of verse 2 preaching the word. This is what his word, his message has to do with. It has to do with the forgiveness of sins being offered by God through him on the scene. His presence is the indication that God has come to restore people, ruined and lost sinners to himself. And the effect of this is largely twofold. We see it in the rest of this morning's passage. One of those two ways that this message, that this authority Jesus is using impacts people is with this is demonstrated by the response of Levi in verses 13 to 17. And Levi was a tax collector, which meant that he was kind of like an enemy to the other Israelites, at least in their eyes and probably in reality, because Tax collectors were Israelites who worked for the Roman government and took money from their fellow Jews in order to give it to this oppressive empire that was ruling over the Jews. And so they weren't well thought of, tax collectors, by the Israelites, and they were just often extorting their fellow Israelites to to give some to the Roman government but keep some for themselves. And that's what Levi was very likely like. And so when Jesus comes by him and says, follow me, Levi either has one of two options. He's either going to reject Jesus, kind of like the the scribes have begun to grumble against Jesus, as we've seen, or he's going to do what he actually does here, and he's going to rejoice. He's going to get up and follow him, and then he's going to bring others to him. That's what we read in verse 15. He, Jesus, reclined at table in his, Levi's, house. And many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And so the scribes begin to complain again. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's going on with this guy? He's doing these miraculous things, but where is his heart really with God? Does he care about God's law? That's the other response that we get, right? So we get a response with Levi, joyous, ready to be with Jesus, to leave everything and follow him. And we get the the second guessing 
the grumbling, the muttering of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus says in verse 17, here here it is. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, all men and women are sinners. And so it's true in that sense that Jesus has called to, to call all men, to, come, to call all sinners. But in another way, at, a, at another level, he's also saying, no, nobody's going to respond to me if they don't recognize that they are sinners. I'm, I'm calling the, the ones who are going to respond to me, the ones I'm calling, the ones who are going to be effectually called, are going to be sinners who recognize that they are sinners, not who think that they're righteous. And what he's doing, what Jesus is doing, is bringing a whole new way of experiencing life. A whole new reality. That's what he alludes to in this next section, 18 to 22. And I'm just going to say, new wine is for fresh wineskins. Because that's what Jesus says. (laughs) we got to be brief here. It's a whole new way of experiencing life. And if you try to fit what Jesus is bringing onto the scene as this king who offers forgiveness for, for God's people, for sinners who will recognize their sin and turn to God, you're not going to be able to shove that into your old way of looking at the world. You're not going to be able to fit that into your old wineskins. Jesus is bringing something that we, we've never experienced before in its entirety to people. He's beginning this and it's new wine. And new wine is sweet, but it also won't fit in old wineskins. Otherwise, it'll burst them. So don't try to put it into them. But that's what the Pharisees are doing. And that's what we see in the last section of the passage, 23 to 28. They're trying to fit Jesus into this box, the box of their own understanding of God's law. And so that's why Jesus is challenging their understanding of the Sabbath, what it means to keep the Sabbath. He and his disciples are going through the grain fields, almost as if like the Pharisees are hiding behind the bushes. I heard a seminary professor once say, I mean, where were these Pharisees? What, what, what happened? Like his, Jesus and his disciples are like picking grain and then the Pharisees pop up. Ah, I gotcha. You're picking grain on the Sabbath. Like, where were, where, where did they come from? You know, but they're already in chapter two. They're already pressuring Jesus to do what they think a proper fulfillment of the law is. And Jesus is showing them that the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, this is an important text for us to talk a bit more about, and it actually goes well with the next section of text into chapter 3, so we'll come back to it. But for today, I hope we're seeing that Jesus is so glorious and good. He brings forgiveness, and his forgiveness is like sweet wine to the soul for all those who will recognize their need of it, their need of him. I hope you will have recognized your need of him today. And if you have already, I pray that you'll be encouraged by the fact that all the good things that Christians are expected to do by the world, which we want to do because Jesus has come to bring restoration and healing and and fullness, those things are secondary to us first understanding, believing, and preaching that Jesus has come to save sinners, sinners who recognize that they're sinners. May we trust Jesus' plan for salvation today and go confidently out into the, into the world, into the future here in the world, trusting Jesus, believing this gospel, proclaiming it, and then adorning it with 
all of the good things that we have opportunity to do because of the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given us uh, this time in Mark chapter 2. What what a tremendous passage of scripture. Such a clarifying word from you, Lord, about what Jesus has come to do, how he has come to fix the messes in the world. He hasn't come to be the kind of king that we naturally expect, Lord. Would you forgive us for trying to put him into a box? Thank you, Lord that he has come to burst the old wineskins. So may he put his new wine into new hearts that he puts into his people today. And may we live in line and in light of that sweet wine, Lord, in our souls, just enjoying his goodness and living in a way that pleases him as a result, we pray in, in his glorious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, go confidently today in Christ, ready to do his will for your life, which, if nothing else, is to believe in his gospel, that he has come to forgive sinners. Turn to him throughout the day and enjoy him. Be well. Mm -hmm.